0: Hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of World Korean and Relationships. I'm your host Z. Uh, so today I'm going to start a new series on something that's really dear to my heart, uh, dealing with Africans in the diaspora. Uh, and the way we are going to tackle this is just inviting a couple of uh, couple of my friends who are in the diaspora and who were in the diaspora and dealing with the challenges they have been facing, the contributions and everything that they have been doing. And the diaspora, the way we are looking at it is based on the African Union defining it as people of African origin living outside of the continent, irrespective uh, of their citizenship or nationality. But the most important part about this is people who are willing to contribute to the development of the continent and building of the African Union. So not only did you live outside of the continent and you're back, or not only do you live outside of the continent, but most importantly, you are willing to contribute to the development of the continent. So that's the angle I'll be taking, because at the end of the day, we want people who are definitely contributing towards the, the growth of the, uh, of the African continent. So today, I'm very excited for my first guest of the series. Uh, he's a very good friend of mine. Uh, he used to live in the U.S., he now lives back in Lesotho. So we're going to take a little bit of his perspective or on the whole uh, living overseas thing and then moving back to Africa and how he has adjusted through the whole transition process. So I'm really, really excited to introduce my guest. Uh, his name is
1: Tawadi Porto. So welcome to the show, sir. Thank you for having me, Zee. Um, as you said, my name is Tawadi Porto. And so I guess I'll first start uh, uh, we've introducing myself, as you said, I'm Pod, but maybe let me start with my relevance uh, for this podcast. Yeah. Um, so I moved, I first moved to, to I've been abroad uh, back in 2008 when I went to study at Pearson College, which is one of the United mm-hmm. World colleges in Canada. So I spent about two years there and then... Afterwards, I moved to the US to a small college called Whitman College, which is in Walla Walla, Washington, uh, where I studied my BA in economics with a minor in mathematics. And then I decided to come back home uh, in 2014. And so currently, um, I'm working for the Central Bank of Lesotho as a financial surveillance division analyst. So, really, our main focus in that division is the anti-money laundering and uh, the exchange control. So, exchange control is really focusing on the cross-border transactions to ensure that those transactions abide by the legal framework laid out by the regulatory universe of the exchange controls. Um, But previously, I worked for the Clinton Health Access Initiative as a district coordinator uh basically ensuring that uh access to health services is seamless by the most remote population of the Pasutu. um so yeah i guess that's a bit about myself yeah
0: awesome that's, that's wonderful yeah no thank you for taking the time out to join us on the show so yeah as, as i've uh laid out the topic here we really are just going to be talking about uh, the African diaspora, uh, starting with you because you are, your position is so unique because you were in the diaspora and then you moved back to the continent. Uh, so as we as you discussed, you did uh, go to Whitman College. Uh, so my first question to you through this conversation is, uh, what would you say are some of the top reasons why you moved to the US in the first place?
1: I think for most of us really, uh, it was to study. And so I mean, you will go abroad. At least incre- it increased your chances. Definitely. <laughs> uh, however, I mean that varies some masters because some of our uh, some of our friends knew about, uh, or at least had that fervent desire to go abroad when they were in high school. Yeah. I remember talking to a friend of mine uh, two days ago. He bumped into a newspaper that advertised uh, scholarships abroad, and then he started to explore in that and decided, you know. I want to one day go and study in the u s and uh, mm-hmm. from each perspective, he said that he needed a different environment and that they, that can challenge him in different ways um map a different trajectory for all of our experiences but you know coming from a very remote village he. <laughs> 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 We all we knew is that you know, at some point you'll hop onto a plane and then go somewhere with a bunch of white people.
0: <laughs> I, I I hear. So basically what yeah. you're saying is you wish you would have had a little bit more knowledge and exposure and maybe people tell you a little bit more about
1: the different parts of the US before you went there? No, absolutely. Even Canada as well. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I see. Yeah. No, that, that so that I think I, I have mapped a very different experience I had we known that beforehand. Okay, no, that that's fair,
0: and I think that that's actually a very good point that you are talking about. And that is something that I will talk, I will touch base later on in the later episodes. Is how do we set up resources to better educate people about moving? abroad before they do so right in that way they have a full picture of exactly what is this place all about because it's not all about milk and honey there is a ton of challenges that we will we'll talk about that actually leads me to my next question would be uh what were some of the biggest
1: culture shocks that you experienced while you you were in the u.s right you know for me homosexuality it was i think i guess the biggest the biggest of them all uh because uh, yeah you know, like where I grew up, yeah. I we didn't even have T V in my house until twenty ten. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: so I was really closed out of the, you know, the entire like uh, World trends or about what is happening abroad and everything, or even locally. Yeah. Because I first knew this concept when I moved into Canada. Of course, it took me time to adjust to it, but uh, finally I made peace with it that it is what it is. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing was that of religion. Mm-hmm. I'd only known one dimension uh, yeah, of religion, which is Christianity. Exactly. And then again, you have Buddhism, you have Islam, and then you have even some people who are agnostic, some who are atheists, and that just didn't turn, didn't make turn my world of that. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, exactly. The, thing. the other thing was, you know, coming from a homogeneous population, um, it was the first realization that, you know, I'm actually black. Yeah. I
0: know that's that's
1: so powerful.
0: Can you touch on yeah. a little a, a little bit on, on that because that is such a powerful thing that a lot of people who are at home don't realize how powerful that is. Yeah. because at home, we, yeah. everyone is black, so you don't even think about that, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never really attach the skin color to your identity. But then when you go, when you move abroad, and then you realize, oh, you have five people, and actually you even find that the majority of the people. Wide. I remember in Whitman, seventy-five percent of the student body was Caucasian. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is very crazy. And so. That's uh, so, you know, that realization that, oh, I'm different, uh, and uh, there's a certain label attached to my identity that I didn't used to have before. And so that made it, uh, you know, like the way you maneuver around the different environments as a black person in a foreign country. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then hearing stories of your friends, some of my closest friends, I remember a friend of mine who studied uh, yeah, at in Rochester. Yeah. Uh, he had encounters with the police three times. And one of the worst cases was when he was pointed, he had a gun pointed at him. Yeah, He didn't know what to do. The police kept saying, let's let's see what's in the bag. And then when he reached into his bag, the police made first that. There better be no weapon in hand. Man, that's that's scary. It is very scary. And so when you hear stories like that, and then you realize, you know, this is a different environment. I have to start behaving in a different way. Yeah. yeah, but, But um. Yeah. Also, I think uh, yeah, and uh, also for that friend who studied in Rochester, he mentioned that um, one of the biggest cultural footprints—the first thing that he noticed is the way that students addressed their professors in class. Yeah, you know how in Africa you're obedient, uh, you're supposed to be humble when addressing a teacher, yeah. but. In the US, they could call what the teacher is saying BS on the spot.
0: Exactly. (laughs) And that's one of the biggest things, right? Yeah. It, it it works to a disadvantage as Africans to an extent because yeah. in, in our culture, challenging the teacher is seen as disrespectful. But whereas exactly. in, in actuality it is not disrespectful. And and I think that's one of the biggest things that I've realized in this culture is that people are able to stand up for, for, for their rights. They're yeah, able to, to, express to, to, yeah, to express themselves in a very powerful way, right? And and I think again it 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 actually leads perfectly into the next into the next question is to uh it, as much as it's scary in the U.S., especially with police brutality and things like those, uh, there is definitely some good that's happening out there, right? And that's part of the reason why we move to the to the U.S. and Canada and the U.K. or whatever the case we go as Africans. Uh, can you right. tu- yeah, can you touch a little bit on some of the valuable lessons you have learned? Uh, regarding economic development and business while you were in the US. As much as I know you were a student, uh, can you share some of your experiences and some of the experiences of our friends who also took the same uh, path you did of going to learn and then go back home?
1: Right, I think one of the first things that we appreciated a lot was technology. Yeah. Technology is way too advanced, and um, it's it's too advanced. It's also very cheap compared to, like, you know, to access data here is very expensive. Data is very expensive in research. I remember one lady who visited the, uh, here, and I used to help her, you know, yeah. move around. to. She used to complain of how expensive data is here. It is, you know, yeah. The internet. It's, yeah, it's very expensive. And so that was one of the first things. And also the national infrastructure. Um, and also, I remember one guy who, who studied in Oklahoma, he, he said that, you know, Americans, regardless of how advanced their institutional structures are, they still work very tirelessly to not only maintain, but to improve their infrastructure.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah, in Lisitu, or at least in most African countries, you don't see that uh, desire, you don't see that uh, ambition to, you know, to push your infrastructures beyond report. And so, yeah, the infrastructural development, how the institutions are independent, which is something that you don't see in Africa. You know that when you have a president, he can control from the judiciary to the financial system yeah. as an as he pleases. And so that's not something that you see in, in, in mm-hmm. the U.S. But yeah.
0: yeah, that is so, so, true. so
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so when it comes to business, I think I was out by the competitiveness that is there. Uh, then like, uh, yeah, in the U.S. I remember, uh, cause one of the things that I want to do eventually in my career is to pursue my own businesses. Yeah. But, in the U.S., it's so hard to break into the market because I remember Chiu, uh, you know, from Harvard. He he used to say, yeah. you know, in the U.S., if you want to start something, there's already someone who is doing it ten times better than you. Now that can be true, definitely, yeah. Yeah, and so it, it was. It's really hard. So, and also uh, one thing that I, you know, like after coming back, I started to appreciate about the U.S. is that. In the U.S., people or at least companies appreciate your skill set, your versatility, your dynamism in the work environment um, instead of focusing mainly on your, on your qualifications no, or like what you have on paper.
0: And that's such a big thing, right? Like that—that is—that yeah. is, that is massive because, uh, it, it, especially making the parallel, you see back home, we emphasize, oh, how, do you have a doctorate? Do you have a master's? Do you have this? But you see out here, uh, US and Canada, uh, especially I would say most of the uh, the developed countries, they focus more on what do you know? What can you contribute right away when you get in?
1: Even if you don't have yeah. a degree, even if you don't have the degree, but what do you know, right? Exactly. I remember when I was networking right after graduating in college, uh, one of the human, uh, Whitman alumni said uh, he, he was uh, the vice president of Silicon Valley Bank. Oh, wow. And he said to me, You know, I only have a degree in history. That's, cr- that's crazy. Yeah, I have a degree in history, so I. It's, it was when I was telling him that, you know, I think I need to pursue a master's soon, and he said, you know, I really need a master's. Uh, you seem like a capable young man, and you can grace that you want to reach. You don't need those. For as long as you can adapt and keep improving your skill set, uh, you don't really need those. And it was true, because it, even for one of the opportunities that I ended up landing in Seattle, there the principal um consultant there. Is it the principal but yeah the, the owner of the, the fund of the firm. Yeah he had his he had his degree in engineering mm-hmm. but he was consulting in business. Well exactly so, so so that's that for me I think that's what I came to appreciate about the US and um, Unfortunately I got to experience some of that when I worked for the Clinton Health Access Initiative, where, well, you know, working in the health sector while I had a degree in economics the- and
0: yeah, no, you're, you're spot on, on that. And I think that's one of the biggest things I believe we have to do to try and bring to Africa is uh, education is very important, yes. And the uh, degrees or whatever the case may be, they may be very important in certain uh, fields, but we have to really focus more on nurturing people's talents and seeing how can we improve on that in, in, yeah. t- instead of just chasing titles, oh, I have a PhD in this, but how mm. can we how can we nurture your skill, make sure we improve your skill? because. And the degree is just a piece of paper, but the, the, the experience that you get is really what will drive our right. our economy moving forward. And I think we have to adapt to our current situation in Africa instead of just doing uh, theoretical things that don't really match with the current economic situations at home. We have to start looking at, OK, this is our current situation. How can we bring out students and people who will have entrepreneurial skills? For example, things like entrepreneurship are not encouraged as much at home. They are say, OK, work hard. Get a degree and go get a job at, let's say, Vodacom, oh. for example, instead of being like, okay, how, what business can you start? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we, we need to start empowering our people to do those kind of things. I yeah. think really it's, it's what, what's really important. You know,
1: yeah, fortunately, the tide is changing by the emergence of these new universities in Lesotho. Um, I think mainly, it actually started with yeah, CAS, Center for Accounting Studies. A lot of guys who graduated from Black. I mm-hmm. into entrepreneurship um like some of them would even tell you no, i don't want to get hired. i'll I'll find a way to take it into the market, and some of them are doing really really well and also yeah, Lincoln King, Lincoln King and butch University they have really taken a different um a different paradigm to what uh, the our you know traditional national university to has. Yeah, is not a lot of entrepreneurs are born out of the NUL, but these are these are the new universities. You see that they're trying to change the tide. So. yeah.
0: No, that, that's amazing and, and you can see there's so much opportunity for growth back home and that, that really is something that may even prompt people to be like there's so much untapped resources that we can still exactly. tap into right and you see that opportunity especially after you you come from a very competitive environment like you were saying in the US and you, you go back you're like man you see things completely different and that leads me to my next my next question as to what made you personally decide
1: to, to, to go back to this world? Um, <laughs> That is a good one. And so uh, I guess I'll start here because uh, um, I wasn't really firmly sure whether I wanted to go back to come back to the suite, at least after graduation. I think what could be initially, I thought that's what I wanted to do. And okay. then, my, you know, like my support system in the US, which is my host family's um. Uh, my friends, yeah, they encourage him and work for a few years, and then maybe you'll go back. You okay. Know? And I started looking for opportunities and networking, as I earlier alluded to. Yeah. Uh, and then what I thought was maybe if I, I lend land a great opportunity, then I'll be deterred from going home. I see. But then. After lending the opportunity that consulting job in Seattle, and also some other fans uh, already making offers, I realized, you know what? It's not about money. Mm-hmm. I do really want to go back to the and I think uh, as a friend of mine said, uh, the one who studied in Oklahoma, yeah, he he said that you know one of the things that we ignore uh, as Africans in the diaspora is the mental health. Definitely. They are not discussed enough, you know, like most, like living abroad can be very lonely and confusing. Definitely. Yeah, especially if you lived in the U.S. during the era of Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no,
0: I I feel for those people, definitely.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, so like, you know, I think part of me was that, you know, I really wanted to go home. I wanted to reconnect with my family. But chiefly for me, as I said, I I wanted uh, like I want to go into entrepreneurship. Right. Mm -hmm. And so. I re- like one of the things that I, I really care about Lesotho and any impact that I wanted to have in this world, I wanted its test impact to be on Basotho and in Lesotho, okay. right? No, and so that, 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 yeah, that for me was the powerful thing that made me come mm-hmm. home. Uh, it's true, like the other thing, which I think most of us can resonate with is, you know, like we were also like, to be frank, tired of being a second class citizen. <laughs>
0: Definitely.
1: Yeah. In Lesotho, you are in Lesotho and that's it. Like that's your full identity. There's no other label attached to it. Definitely. But in the US, uh, you are, first of all, you're black. Yeah. And an you're African. African. Yeah. 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 You see. And so Every time someone, like you introduced yourself, you always had to attach those labels to that, you know, as opposed to someone who's just an American.
0: Hey, exactly. And, and, <laughs> and that's such an important thing that I want to touch on a little bit as well, because like I was saying, later on, we do want to grow this into getting more information out there for our people. Is uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's something that it's not really talked about enough back home that, listen, when you leave, you won't just be table. You won't just be whoever. You will also be viewed yeah. as a black African, and automatically, when you say I'm from Africa, all they think about is AIDS and poverty. They, the, the stereotypes yeah. just keep flooding in, and immediately they, they kind of downgrade you, and that's something you have to be prepared to fight above. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but, but you are saying you, you are moving against the tide in that way because you have to be mentally prepared, at least if. You knew a bit about that before you 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 went over to the US. I'm not right. saying it, it would have been easy, but I am saying at least you would have known what to expect. But if you don't know, exactly. what you, if you don't know yeah. what to expect, yeah. it hits you harder, right? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So yeah, those drug absorbers are really good. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, preparing someone mentally. You know, you need to expect this. At least when they encounter it, it's not the first time they're experiencing that. Someone mm. prepared them mentally that you know. This is what I was told to expand. Definitely. So Those are um, very critical. They're
0: pertinent. 100%. And, and you know what? I, I know some people laugh at me when I say this, but I, I do believe if we as Africans really work together towards this, we can change the story. Because uh, we have so much power in changing the story of how this uh western countries and western people view us because right now the story is still told from their viewpoint that's why they still look yeah. out on us because they are still viewing it from their viewpoint so that's part of the reason why i'm creating this series to be that like, okay how are we going to influence and tell our own stories our own ways so that when we go there we go with the confidence that you know what yes i am from africa and that's not a death
1: sentence to be from africa mm. you know what i mean no, 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 I definitely get that. Though um, I may degrade a bit and say, you know, it's not really, at least for me, It's about, it should be about what it is that we want to achieve at the end of the day. Definitely. Irregardless of how the Westerners view us. I mean, look at the example of China. China didn't care whether they were labeled as communists. they were, everything that went against the Western values. They knew what they wanted, and they worked tirelessly to achieve that goal. And look at them, 30 years down the line of committing to that uh, Mm -hmm. movement, they are now the second largest economy in the world. Well, exactly. so I think for, yeah, so for I think for us as Africans, one of the biggest mistakes we've made along, like, we have we have been making and we keep continuing to make, is to make the Western world as our blueprint for our development. That is true. You know, yeah, because uh, look, I studied economics, and I can tell you right now that the economics that I studied in the US. Will not apply directly to Africa. Why well, exactly? And actually, I think it's true for economics everywhere, because you know you say okay. If you fire, if you if you source foreign direct investment, then your country will develop yada 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 yada. yada. But that is only true in the U.S., where the infrastructure, the institu- the institutional structures are robust, yeah. and they save that against capital flight. You know, mm-hmm. and that's a, we'll get back. We'll get to this, I think, on your next questions. But FDI hasn't worked for Lesotho. It doesn't work for Africa. <laughs> and we'll, we'll dive into some examples of that. Anyway, just to, yeah. to wrap it up, but I'm just saying that as Africans, we need to look at our context and then think about the solutions relevant to our context. Well, and I agree with you a hundred percent. And that's, that's why yeah. just digressing a little
0: bit, I was saying our institutions, and that's what you mentioned, we have to localize it to our own economy. But I believe okay. in doing that, not that we are using the West as the blueprint, but in finding our own identity and, and doing what works for us, we will eventually emerge with what we call our own success story, which will, which will have a ripple effect of the rest of the world viewing us as people who can actually do things for ourselves.
1: Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah totally agree.
0: Definitely. And then the, the next point, because moving back home, like you said, the infrastructure is a bit of a challenge. What other challenges have you, have you come across once when you initially moved back?
1: Um. <laughs> okay, I, I think for me personally, again, uh, what I thought, and very likely so, uh, or stupidly so, um, I thought that, you know, I go back home, I'm not gonna look for a job, I'm just gonna start my own thing. Okay. And then fast forward three months later, I realized, you know what, uh, I, I knew I know about the US economy and how it operates. But I actually have no clue about how the Lesotho's economy operates.
0: That's interesting.
1: So yeah, and so for me it was a wake-up call. Like okay, so I need to find something while I study the dynamics of the Lesotho's economy and to see where the greatest opportunity is, and I can break into that area. Okay. And so then I started looking for a job and then that's when the frustrations began and i think this also resonates with some of uh, with a lot of us who, who came back um you know you'd think that Allah having spent Relatively huge sums of money yeah. as a government of Lesotho. They would at least have a database of every Mesotho is abroad. Yeah. You know, where, yeah. the, where do they live? What are they studying? Uh, when do they plan to go back? Uh, and uh, so that when they come back, they can deploy them to the area of craters' need. Exactly. But this wasn't the case. This wasn't the case. It wasn't only the case, but we also realized as we we started networking here that, in fact, having studied abroad, (laughs) somehow worked against us. Um, For a lot of uh, employers, when you mentioned that, oh, by the way, uh, I had my degree in the U.S., I studied this and that, it became a stumbling block in hiring you. can can you touch more on that sorry can you touch a little bit more on that uh what was the biggest challenge yeah yeah they they were afraid of you and you'd think okay um and again i think this is one of the major differences in the u.s most employers if they realize that oh this guy can bring a different a perspective into my company or into whatever area they're hiring you on um they would want you with all their might. Exactly. Right? Uh, yeah, they would want. Oh, this guy, I have to hire this guy. But in Lesotho, if you if you, if you come and then you start boasting those fancy decrees. yeah, yeah, it works against you. Like I remember an um, act with one of the major executives at one of the insurance companies here. Yeah, and uh, after having been referred by a friend, and so. After the networking session i thought you know this i think this went good this went pretty well and then i went to report to my friend yeah Uh, well he's a bit older than me actually a lot older than me i went to report to him and he said you know she's afraid of you that's crazy (laughs) forget about getting a job there if this is the feedback you're giving me don't like forget about getting a job there she's not she's never gonna hire you wow and that uh, time, I talked with one of the with the one of the say, CEOs of the bank, local banks. Yeah, um, <laughs> he said one of the funniest things that uh, the economics that I studied is not relevant for his institution. <laughs> they prefer that's crazy. They prefer, <laughs> they prefer economics uh, like the South African economics, and in my manners, like. The South African is like the books they use, are written by US professors. Well, exactly. That, that's exactly the right. Concept, exactly. The concepts and everything that economics is the same. The only thing you should appreciate is that, if anything, if anything, my analytical skills are at least maybe slightly superior than my counterparts who studied. You yeah. know? So, anyway. Then I learned after that that you know for any network like a network like networking session that I had, I had to tone down my pitch a lot. Okay, so I had to really, really, really tone it down because I realized that you know um, trying to display what it is you can and cannot do, blah blah blah, like your skill set. Yeah, that that is not a good idea. And so it was only after turning down my piece that opportunities started to arise. That was one of the very- <laughs> Biggest challenges. Exactly, and so the other thing that most of my friends face is the that of nepotism. And I think, yeah, so anyway, after going through this experience myself, that's when I started, That that's when we thought of the, I think you might have heard of this, the Lesotho U.S. Alumni Association. Yeah. Yeah, we, I started that with a few friends because what I wanted was, you know, for anyone who studied abroad and wants to come back to Lusutu, they should not go through this experience. We should start giving them tips and we should start, uh, you know, connecting them with the people that we think will be of greatest help to them. Mm-hmm. And actually it has worked because I think I can count at least four or five friends who have benefited greatly out of that. Uh, they didn't have to go through the frustration we went. We connected them with the people that we thought would help, and they landed trade opportunities. One of those is actually now the first uh, black to a person to be heading that particular organization. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, Matlatin you 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 know him, I think. Yeah, I know the I know the story as well. Yeah. So he benefited a lot out of that. He's one of those who benefited. So I think um, that, like creating that local network, has helped a lot to ensure that um, like, the, the frustrations that we went through when he came back are not experienced by uh, our um, predecessor, or not predecessor, but the, the people who decide to come back
0: home. I see. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's, You brought up so many good points there because uh, when you realize it's it's a a change in mindset, and the one thing that I've come come to realize as well is most of our employers at home don't have that exposure of having travelled abroad to see how other people do things so their mindset is only localized to the suit and that's it so when you come back they're like oh he, he's coming back with his fancy degrees he thinks he's better than yeah. us and, and all that without realizing what, what but you i can actually make the company better which which will result in making our overall economy better so that's another thing that we can uh again work towards and be like okay how do we change Uh, The people at home, because we can't take everyone who's out of Lesotho and let them travel and experience different countries and different cultures. But how do we make it a lot easier for them to realize that, listen, there is a whole world out there besides Lesotho and this is how we can operate, still localizing it to our needs, but this is how we can operate. So I guess it brings me to my next question is besides the the great work you did with the the Alumni Association that you created, uh, what are some of the other... uh, biggest need you would say you have felt like the the skill sets you have brought in to contribute towards the economy of the other country as a whole?
1: Yeah, I think this one, uh, I might not have realized it fully yet, uh, as uh, I'm sort of still budding into the market anyway. Uh, But I think for most of us, it's really where we are employed and really leveraging the skill set that we learned in the US. uh, Okay. The knowledge. To everything uh, to, you know, to change the way things are done in the city. I think uh, if I go back to the example of working for Clinton Health Access Initiative as an economic economist. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I, like what, one of the different, big biggest differences between myself and yeah, because I worked there with the man actually, like another friend who studied abroad. Yeah. The, the, the main difference between us and those who had been in the field for a while, they adopted a traditional way of thinking. And so if they are faced with a problem, they say, oh, this is how we used to do them. And so for us, yeah, for us, it was like, no, yeah, this is how you used to do them, but we think we can improve on this. Exactly, we can make this, we can streamline this to make it more sense. And so um, with that, and fortunately, our leadership at CHI was more receptive to new ideas. Yeah. And so we helped manifest a lot of changes that actually improved a lot on the district coordination and also access to health services. So we deviated from the traditional way of thinking and doing things. I see. Which was great. And so uh, we actually, like, I think. I don't know whether this is still the case, but when I left Chai, what we had uh, conjured through those three years, we was laid as a blueprint for district coordination or at least access to health services in Lesotho. So I think that is one of our accomplishments there. Uh, Now working for the Central Bank of Lesotho, I think um, like right now I'm Again, I'm focusing on cross-border transactions to ensure that the Lesotho's resources don't leave Lesotho willy-nilly, you know? Exactly, and that's think, huge. Yeah, I'll delve much more into this when we get to, um, I think, is it? Yeah, anyway, one of your next questions. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think that's- yeah. No, no, it's true again. Again, when I say that I haven't realized this fully, is because I think uh, entrepreneurship is going to be a huge um, way in which I make an impact in this world. Because uh, most of these countries that I've developed, it's true again, I've said that we shouldn't make them our blue. If you look at the US, Main, major changes came because of the influence of the private sector. 100%. Um, yeah, there is this concept we call rent-seeking, where, as an entrepreneur, uh, you lobby the politicians and you say, you know, I'll fund your campaign as long as you like this policy. Exactly. For the most, most policies work to the betterment of the US. And so, anyway, I just wanted to give you a snapshot into what I think my greatest impact in the future should be
0: should be no that, that's very good and i actually wanted to touch on this i know we're a little bit short on time but i wanted to touch base on back uh, to your time in chai basically uh, you mentioned they were receptive to your ideas was it because they were not local people or what made them so receptive that they were not afraid of you guys but they were like you know what let's listen to what they have to say we've been doing things the traditional way but what, what do you think made them so receptive to try and change it? Because that would be key into improving how we do things moving forward.
1: Yeah. Um, so our management in time was a hybrid, uh, which I think made it a lot easier. So our country director at the time was American. Okay. And uh, my boss was a Musutu who had worked with Americans for a number of years. Oh, okay. And so I think, yeah, I think that helped a lot. That, uh, yeah, that went a long way in helping to them to 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 hear what we had to say, even though it, different though it was. Yeah,
0: definitely. Okay. So I guess it's just creating more awareness, wherever whichever space you are in, to be like, okay, let's be a little bit open-minded and see how else we can do things.
1: And actually, you know, I, I, I can't leave without saying, actually, at Central Bank as well. Um I realized that uh, at least in the department that I'm in. Mean,
0: yeah.
1: Um and maybe it's due to the nature of our nature of our institution that we have to regulate and also abide by international standards and also um leverage the best talent that is in the market.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but I have to give credit to my bosses because also they appreciate the creativity we bring into every task that we assigned no that's good and, uh, uh, yeah and uh, like what's 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 even more impressive is that uh they're all about so to the central bank they're all about so and they're always looking for fresh ideas into how they can relate the financial sector space so uh, i would say i guess i've been very fortunate to have landed in a place where i can actually you know be myself be creative be versatile be dynamic as much as i want to
0: no, no that, that is wonderful. And it shows that it can be done as long as people are open-minded and willing to work, because we can still localize everything to our current situation and economic situation at home, but we are we, are, we should be able to, to be open-minded to, to to new ideas, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And then on the, on the grander scheme of things, what would you say uh, you have identified as some of the biggest challenges facing the nation as a whole? And the continent, like I think we've touched on on some of them being like lack of infrastructure and the competitiveness level that's lacking. But some of the things, because you are like basically boots on the ground, what have you seen through the central bank that, that you know what? These are stuff that we still have a long way to go as and as Africa as a whole.
1: Yeah, um, l- let me. So I'm I'm gonna talk from my general observation, not just as um, as a central banker. Well, I exactly. Think that- exactly. So um, I think one one thing that Mazruga, the Oklahoma guy, mentioned was Asian leadership, uh, like people who like old people who don't want to retire from the positions. One example he made was, you know, if my grandfather is too old to be a teacher in a primary school in the villages, how can he be fit enough to lead the nation and be?
0: <laughs> well, exactly. You know, no, that's fair. Yeah. yeah.
1: Exactly. And so that's one thing that we as Africans are talking with a lot. I mean, look at Uganda, they just elected Museveni. I don't know for how, but it's it's decades since he's been there. It's a mess. And if if, if he was making an impact, like, say, Kagame, if he was making an impact and you could see some development in Uganda, then you'd say, you know, yes, he has stayed there for many years, but at least you can see what he's doing. But in his case, you can't really. You can't really point to anything that, yeah, his uh, exactly. And so that that is one thing that uh, we we like. So, and I think this is a good segue into my next point: uh, that uh, we don't really we have this unique opportunity where we have a really young, talented uh, citizens, mm-hmm. but our countries know, are just not taking advantage of. Because you know, when you're young. Um, the way the manner in which you think the way you see things is vastly different from how your elders see things definitely and also you are more prone to taking risks uh, which eventually tend into very good opportunities to change in the economic landscape landscapes of our country yeah and so that's one thing that we are not fully taking advantage of so I think just to highlight a few, because uh, I had already alluded to to some uh, like the, infrastructure and the technology, but I think those are the two major ones. And I think uh, actually when speaking of infrastructure, there's this one example. Uh, like I remember I was in class back in 2013 or 2014, and then we read this book that said that the last time the U.S. woman had to go to the world of a bike, had to go to was about 270 years ago. That is crazy, and to me, in my head, I was like, "Oh shoot, there are some villages in We're it. still doing that right now, yeah. So you'd say we are roughly around two hundred years behind, say the US. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah.
0: And the, the 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 other thing I wanted to ask you, because as someone who was born and bred in the Soto but left unfortunately so I may be a little bit out of touch with certain things but reading and still doing research and keeping in touch with people still back in Africa as a whole the biggest mm-hmm. the, the biggest challenge I see is corruption can you speak on to that if you would say you know what I have seen this or I can assess this or for you personally you haven't really come across that a lot because to me that seems to be the biggest root of so many problems that we are having as Africans.
1: No, my brother, corruption <laughs> corruption is uh, is rampant in Africa. It's rampant in the suit, it's rampant in Africa. Yeah. Um if you and I think I can confidently say this because I'm not wearing any hat. Um, Look at the last regime. And I'm I'm just going to focus on the last regime because this this model was replicated by other regimes in the past. Exactly. But in our last regime in Lesotho, uh, those guys ruled for only two and a half years. Yeah. And the national coffers were almost empty. But Mm -hmm. those guys were billionaires, if not billionaires. That's crazy. And so, but... While they were being millionaires, they struggled to pay government service providers, which was the first in a number of years, yeah, so they were being rich and so they were literally cleaning the government's coffers to line up to to line up their pockets their pockets yeah,
0: and I think the biggest yeah. the biggest challenge in Africa as a whole is people get into politics to escape poverty, not to improve the country they are not exactly. they are not so I think, yeah they're not patriotic at all. And I think that's one of the the, the hardest things to get rid of, but it's one of the key things that we do have to start changing, the mindset change. And I think you alluded to Asian leadership. I think that's one of the problems is if people take so long and stay so long in those positions, by the time Mm. you you as a fresh blood want to get in there, it's too late because you're also too old. What's the point?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that that, that, that is the biggest problem. Like, corruption is you know and honestly I, I don't even know how to go about it we just need honest leaders who want, who like as you said who go into politics because they want to change the the lives of their citizens definitely and not to let their look- own pocket yeah one of the one of the ways in which we can deal with that is say we um, that there's a certain criteria to get into politics and one of those criteria is to you know to at least have a certain amount of wealth
0: yeah definitely yeah. i agree with that and i think yeah. even even the, the salaries should if uh, 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 the u.s is a good example the, the president only gets like 200k for the year they should yeah be, there should be a cap on the salary you shouldn't be just exactly. saying, i'll pay myself whatever i want kind of thing
1: exactly yeah, so and yeah, and like the other thing is we have career politicians. Yeah. So people, like when they think of politics, they don't think as, okay, so this is my opportunity to impact the lives of my citizens. But mm-hmm. uh, they see it as my career, okay, so I'm gonna be a a, a career politician. I, I want to get, keep being elected until I retire. Whether you're relevant or not, that's right. the problem. Yeah, one of the ways in which you should tackle that, and I think for Basu, too, there's some slimmer of hope um, because in some constituencies, you perform, you get reelected. elected you don't perform, you are out. Yeah. Um, and I've seen this in my constituency as well. And uh, we, we need to start adopting that model where we don't really care about what Party mandated from or part, what party legends we have, but really focus. Okay, if this is my constituency, we need this and this and this, we need water, we need electricity, we need those, even though those are government responsibilities. But if we, we need to hold our uh, our our electorate yeah. um, accountable. Definitely, that's a key word. We we definitely
0: have to make them earn our votes because if we make them earn our right. votes, then they'll start working for us. Yeah, Yeah. so what are some of the things that you could say, we at the Diaspora, and people who are back home now, uh, what are the key roles we can play in improving our economic development in Lesotho and Africa as a whole?
1: So, I mean, just like we in Lesotho, we are acting as a bridge for those who want to come back home. Yeah. I think... Likewise, those who are still in the diaspora, uh, such as yourselves, can act as a bridge for any African who wants to get that experience or maybe explore the opportunities of where you are. So mm-hmm. I think you, not, yeah, you need to act as a bridge. Uh, so maybe like you know, whole campaigns about what opportunities that they can take advantage of like uh, if they want to go abroad what are some of the tips that you can give them uh, i know there's one lady here who's actually doing that she used to work for the american corner which is um a branch of the u.s embassy that helps ambassador to to go study in the u.s her name is Dimpopo. Dimpopo, yeah
0: i'm aware of it i, I know Dimpopo, yeah. yeah
1: yeah so i think uh since you guys are there in the diaspora. You see firsthand what, are, what some of the opportunities that, say, Basu to Africans can take advantage of. I think you need to play a key role. I think you need to play a key role in ensuring that those are availed to to Africans. The second thing is that um, I think you need to start channeling some capital into Africa, mm-hmm. investing in. Because uh one thing that I kept saying, I'll get you, uh, my, I'll get into a lot deeper is that that of foreign direct investment. Yeah. Uh foreign direct investment, at least for Lesotho, it doesn't work. It hasn't worked. Those big corporations come to Lesotho under the guise of investment and they siphon millions of money out of the country every every quarter.
0: Yeah.
1: It's really appalling to see how much money leaves Lisuitu. You know? Um and at the same time, the investment that they're making, like, like it's not even it's not consumer trauma, the obscene profits that they're making and the obscene monies that they're taking out. And so you'll find that, say, a mine closes maybe, and then you'll look, okay. This man has closed. What impact has it done on the So you realize that, oh, they only paid salaries and maybe and maybe uh, paved a few roads and that's it. that's it. There's really no lasting investment. And so I think you in the diaspora, you, as well as us, I think we need to start channeling capital into Africa, but the resources have to be owned by Africans. Yeah. The funds need to start circulating within Africa that's how that's how the our economies are are going to improve because for as long as you keep attracting this for indirect investment only to take huge sums of money out out yeah yeah it, it's it doesn't work it mm-hmm. doesn't work. i remember seeing this in the forum where the european union invited us <laughs> of course it wasn't the right platform but it had to be said yeah, exactly yeah it it, it doesn't like You come here, you dig a diamond worth, say, $400 and mm-hmm. um, you convert it. But only, say, 10% of that uh, remains in the city. The rest goes abroad. It's gone,
0: yeah. But then my, yeah. my question for that is, and that's a very good point. Like, I agree with you 100%. My question for it is, what role are the locals, meaning the government, and regula- regulation bodies, what role should they play in, in, in such a way that when foreigners go to invest in the country, there should be some regulations to be like, okay, you can only uh, hire locals, for example, or you can only take out 60% of what you bring in here or whatever the case is. Is there a role that the government, because I believe there should be, there should be a harsher laws that the government can institute and uh, a regulatory body can institute and say, these are the requirements for you to, to invest in this country. You have to
1: go through these this regulations. No, they, they they have a huge role to play, to be honest. Um, I mean, regulation and I know how much role we play in the financial sector. Unfortunately, ours is working, but however, uh, uh, as far as investment is concerned, you have other bodies who are playing that role. And unfortunately, in those uh, sectors, the government plays a huge role. And in the city, we have this famous phrase that even a briefcase passes.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> no,
0: corruption again, yeah. right? But but this is something we will have to talk about a lot more in a, in a different episode, I think, because I think it's so huge channeling money into the country and making sure that it's Africans who are doing it instead of just trying to attract foreigners to come in because
1: they just planned Africa and they leave. No, absolutely. And, you know, I just don't get, because in our case, uh, our government, uh, for, like, in the mines, the natural resources, they only own 30%. And then you wonder, how could you, like, this is your resource endowment. Yeah. How do you own just 30% of it? That is mind-blowing. Yeah, if you want them to have a controlling stake, at least have them f- have 51%, and then you own 49 Yeah. And then, you know, you would think that that would be the last concession they make of owning 30% equity, but there's also other concessions that they make subsequent to that. That's <laughs> crazy. And so yeah, that 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 just bleeds Lesotho. My brother, if if these mines were owned by Basotho and the money circulated within the country didn't have to go to some shareholders abroad, Lesotho would be far. Definitely. And would I. Be and the the thing that 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 that's unfortunate is
0: it's not that we don't have qualified people. It's just that we, we don't have the enabling government and the resources because even if the government set up a fund and say, okay, we have engineers, we have all this, and we have a fund for you guys to start and mine and yeah. secure the money around here, it could be that if people from abroad would come back home and be like, okay, they're actually giving us a platform to showcase our skills, right. but right. that's not
1: happening. Exactly. You, you see, like, I think there's this phobia, and I don't know why it, stems from, at least for, like this phobia from politicians that they don't they are afraid of Basu to getting rich. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, for example, I remember like the, the government hires consultants all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm part of the junior chamber of commerce and industry under the huge body of the Lesotho Chamber of Commerce and Industry, mm-hmm. now, one time we had consultants come who were supposed to conduct a study in Lesotho about the small and medium business enterprises. Yeah. And then, like midway through their questioning, we kept wondering, okay, these guys are supposed to be experts. Why did they pretty much want us to tell them everything? Yeah, you know. And then it dawned on to us, like, you know, this is a study that we could do as Basutu. You we know, the country's landscape much better than- uh, Definitely, foreigners. So-called experts. And then when they come to Lesotho, they want us to write the paper. and. I remember one question that made more was too furious. She asked us, "So, what do you think the solution is?" That's and crazy. You know, like, conducting, you're conducting a study. You're supposed to analyze the facts and then come up with a recommendation. Why are you asking us what the solution is? And like, and that was a free session for us. They've been paid millions, and they're going to write our thoughts. Exactly. You know, that, that's, yeah, that's the maddening thing about the way our government thinks of too because we have the skill set, we have everything that they can ever want. Yeah. But whenever they think of engaging in a consultant, they think, oh, someone for it. Someone exactly. And that's again going back to that
0: thing of changing mindset. And I think that is going to be the blueprint for us moving forward. And that this is a mm-hmm. conversation that that will have to continue going on is How do we change the mindset of our people? And we have already seen from our experience, going the government route may not be the best. We have to go the the entrepreneurial route and be private sector people. That's how we will end up influencing the government. If we come together as uh, as private sector people and be like, okay, we want to come together, start our own business, come together, do this. And then from there, we influence the the legislation that's been going on through
1: the government. That's really the only way we're going to make impactful change. Exactly, brother. How is that seeking which I mentioned earlier? absolutely. No, we will definitely have more
0: of those conversations, and I'll, I'll try and invite more people and see how can because this is a long term thing. But that needs <laughs> to be that that needs to be done because we have yeah. so much uh, talent and resources as Basuton, so as Africans as a whole. Because if you look at other countries, you have Nigeria with that oil, DRC with <laughs> all those minerals. But how do we stop? this plight of people coming and plundering and going and going forth. But again, I digress. And I just to kind of round it off because I always like to promote and highlight what uh, the individuals on my, on my show do. Uh, is there a project that you are currently working on that you may want the listeners to know about or connect with you on? Uh, is there something like that that you want us to know about right now?
1: Um. So earlier on, I mentioned the group, uh, the Lesothoes Alumni Association. It has also very loosely tending to what you call a blommers group. Okay. <laughs> and so this blommers group is read with um, a bunch of us who studied in the, who studied abroad. Uh, yeah. be Cuba, be Canada, U.S., Europe, you name it. And so, out of that, we have decided that we are ca- we're going to come with what you call the Blomers group of companies. Okay. And one of the successful ventures that have uh, taken off is uh, there's a restaurant slash bar uh, in Mahale Soup, it's called La Casa. Okay. But um, a, a group of us, a group of, uh, it's not everyone in the Blomers group but, um, a significant majority have joined into establishing that. It's it's actually a very great project and they, or they want to replicate that model into other districts as well. But I think what is core in that is that they want um, to uh, to integrate that with some educational material. And mm-hmm. uh, Nelson, who is also an alumni from Canada, um, he's working on some education project. Uh, it's a really massive project. I can't well articulate it now, but uh, anyway, they want to integrate a number of things uh, with, with that concept of La Casa. Oh, okay. one of the One of the guys is in the film industry, and he just helped launch a movie titled... This is not a burial, it's a resurrection. Uh, he's been working in the in, in the film industry since he came back. He's a lecturer at Lincoln Queen University. And one of the projects he's working on is the what he calls the Lesotho Streaming Services. Okay. Where they're going to house all the Lesotho content in there. So that is going to be a go-to page for anyone who wants to know anything about Lesotho. Not and they're going to launch that by end of twenty twenty two. By and they're going to start shooting a limited series of six episodes, and then the project will go on from there. Uh, personally, uh, along with the, uh, uh, along with some members of the Blomers Group, we are exploring the financial services space. Okay. Because uh, one thing one one thing that I realized after coming back was that. Um, Financial services in the Sutra are very expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the U.S., the interests are very low, and, um, in fact, if you look at the, you know, cheap, say, let, let me loosely call it cheap prices, that's how the Chinese have beat us in our market. The Chinese say, if you're selling a pen, hmm a uh, Musu uh, traditionally they would say, Okay, if this pen if this pen cost me five 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 rents or five mm-hmm. Malut, I'm going to sell it for ten Malut, effectively making a hundred percent profit. Exactly. Whereas the Chinese say, Okay, if this pen costs me five Malut, I'm going to sell it for six Malut. Exactly. And the advantage that the Chinese would have over with is that he'll be making one loot on each pen, but he would be selling twenty every day. What Whereas exactly. Amazon is making $5 million pen only on only sell two.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the same model that Amazon was adopting is, I would even lose money if I have to, to gain market share. And that's kind of the, the, exactly. structure, the structure you want to you wanna go with.
1: Exactly, and so in the financial success, like the model we're exploring is to see, okay, how can we minimize costs? Okay. In this way, you know that when we launch the campaign, we effectively get all the market share. No, I'm just being... <laughs> no, but, but, I, yeah, but... <laughs> I, I, I hear where you're getting it. Yeah. No, but
0: and, and for some of the, the initiatives you talked about, would there be maybe a Facebook page that you can maybe shoot me an email about and then I can include it with my podcast so that people who are actually interested to get to, to know a little bit more about some of the initiatives, is there something like that for some of them?
1: Yeah, I think for Lacasa there is, but I will also ask Nelson whether he has set up any online links to the project he's working on. Okay. Uh, Yeah, and I'll definitely forward them to you. No, thank you so much sir. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think that rounds
0: off our first round of this talks and I had a great time and I think, like I said, this is an ongoing conversation which will definitely turn into action. So I will definitely keep
1: in touch and thank you so much for spending your time with me this morning. No, absolutely, my brother. Thank you and thank you for thinking of me when uh, doing this project. Again, it's a very interesting project and I'm sure and uh, not just me, but a number of guys here would love to participate if we have a chance in the future. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: No, you're very welcome. Have a great day.
1: Uh, you too, and Thanks. Cheers. <music>